Welcome to the Bethel Podcast. Thank you for taking time out of your day to spend time in God's Word. We hope that today's message blesses you and lifts you. Isaiah, and I look at Job, I think, where in the world does that leave somebody like me? If Job said that he was vile, if, if Isaiah said that his righteousness was like filthy rags, can I tell somebody this morning, on my best day, I still need Jesus. On my best day. There's a song that we sing in the old church that we sing, Jesus is all I need. But I want you to know, friend, when we stand before God in the face of eternity, Jesus is all we're going to have. We need Jesus. We need him. And his plan for every person in this building, God desperately wants to spend eternity with you. He doesn't care about all the stuff that you've did. And when I look at my own violence and my own sin and my own mistakes, I'm thankful that when I stand before God, I don't have to stand alone. I can stand with Jesus standing next to me. Jesus wants every person in this building to make heaven one day and every person across every generation across the span of time. His plan, his desire is to spend eternity with every one of them. In Matthew chapter 22, Jesus trying to express to many, uh, many of the crowds that came to the Pharisees and those that were in ministry and all the different people uh, that were in earshot, Jesus uh, shared three parables, and we're going to look at these uh, this morning, just actually one this morning. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me uh, to the book of Matthew, Matthew, the 22nd chapter. But as we step into this third parable, I want you to understand that Jesus is already illustrating to them that we're listening uh, their need for him. In Matthew uh, 21, Jesus uh, began to tell them a story of two sons and how the uh, one son said that he would go out and work for the father, and then the second son said that, that he would not, but at the end of the day, the first son that said that he wouldn't go went, and the second son that he said that he would go, he stayed behind. And Jesus is illustrating to us that it's so much more than, than what we do, or forgive me, so much more than what we say, but what we do that really matters. Jesus went on to tell a second parable, and he told this parable of of a vineyard and how the master, the, the owner, had went on to another place, and so in turn he, he leases his own vineyard. Well, at the end of the year, the end of the season, that, that man came back, or he sent a messenger, rather, to, to, to collect the debt, to collect part of the harvest. And the Bible says, or Jesus illustrating this, says that they, they took the messenger and, and they didn't pay him anything. They, they actually took him, beat him, and killed him. That the owner sent messenger after messenger after messenger trying to collect, and they killed each one. But then finally the, the owner said, well, I'll send my own son. And then they took these men that leased the vineyard. They took the son. They beat him and killed him also. Now Jesus is illustrating a powerful prophetic point of what's about to happen even in his own life. The dangers of rejecting Jesus as the Son of God comes to save man. And then Jesus steps into the third parable, and that's the parable uh, of the wedding feast, the parable that we're going to look at this morning. Now, it's important uh, that we understand that, that a parable is a way that Jesus taught. The best definition that I can give of a parable is a parable, uh, really what it is, it's a method that truth enters through a door 
in the form of a story. So Jesus is, is speaking in illustration and in parable form over and over and over, trying to illustrate why he came and the dangers of rejecting him. He is inviting them over and over and over again to put their faith in him. Matthew chapter 22, uh, we're going to begin down in verse number 1. Matthew chapter 22, beginning in verse number 1. If you're ready for the reading of God's word, somebody shout amen in this building. It says, And Jesus answered and spoke to them again by parables and said, The kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son. He sent out his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding, and they were not willing to come. Again, he sent out servants, saying, Tell those who were invited, See, I prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fatted cattle are killed. All things are ready. Come to the wedding. But they made light of it and went their own ways, one to his own farm, one uh, another to his business. And the rest seized the servants, treated them spitefully, and killed them. But when the king heard about it, he was furious, and he sent out his armies, destroyed those murderers, and burned up their city. Then he said to his servants, he said, the wedding is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Therefore, go into the highways, and as many as you can find, invite to the wedding. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all whom they found, both bad and good. Both bad and good. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he saw a man there, who did not have on a wedding garment. So he said to him, friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the servants, bind him hand and foot, take him away and cast him into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. For every person that was listening to the parables of Jesus that went forth over and over and over, Jesus is illustrating their need for him. And he is inviting them to turn away from their old life and to begin to follow Jesus. I just want to preach to you this morning along the themes, the invitation of a lifetime. Saints of God, will you help me pray one more time over this morning service. Lord, we love you today. And Father, we're so thankful, Lord, that we get together into your house one more time. Father, I'm thankful, Lord, for everything that you did on Friday night and everything that you did on Saturday night. Lord, we're thankful, Lord, for miracles that have taken place in these revival services. But God, we know, Lord, that you didn't just come to heal our bodies. You didn't just come to fill us with the Holy Ghost. But Father, we know that... that that above all things, you came to seek and save that which was lost. And Father, I ask if there was any in the building, Lord, that have walked away from you, if there's any in this building, Lord, that have walked in with their mask on and they have hidden sin in their life, Lord, I ask that your spirit would break through that door and Lord, you would draw them unto repentance, draw them back to you, Lord, that you would invite them to stand one more time and right standing with them. Lord, I ask that you would stir this house, convict our hearts, bless this word, 
in the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. And everyone in agreement shouted amen and amen. Throughout the Old Testament, you see that over and over again that Jesus will often refer to his people as a holy people. He refers to his people as a chosen people, a people that uh, one verse says that his people are a special treasure above all the earth. God's people are a peculiar people. There are people that have been called to set themselves apart uh, from the world or the culture that they are living in. They are to be a people. God's people are to be a people of of holiness, a people of reverence, and, and a people of character, a people that submit not to their own will, but to the will of God. And throughout the Old Testament, there were moments that Israel shined. When God led the people out of Egypt and the plagues and the miracle after miracle that began to happen, and when God led them out, uh, I believe that somewhere in between 2 million and 4 million people march out of Egypt. It's a powerful moment that they're walking away from their old life, and they're following after Moses. They're following after the promise of God. But even though this was a moment of revival, this was a moment of new beginnings, you'll find, if you keep reading a little bit further, that they didn't even get very far. Before they begin to take Moses, goes up onto the mountain, they begin to take off their earrings and take off their jewelry. They begin to melt down everything, and they create in themselves an image of a golden bull. And one of them even had the gall to say, this is our God that brought us out of Egypt. Over and over and over again, we see God's people fail. And it's not because they didn't know what to do. But they failed because they refused to rightly respond to God. And though chosen by God, even though they were chosen by God, God's holy people, God's chosen people did not fulfill their destiny. Still today, his people as a whole have not repented and come back to him. You see, when it comes to the things of God and the callings of God, there is both a divine call and a human response. It's more than just saying, Lord, I love you and I'm going to follow you. But Jesus said, if you love me, he said, he that loves me, he said, it's the ones that have my commandments and keeps him. That is he that loves me. It's more than just going to church. And we should should come to church and we shouldn't forsake the assembly of of coming together. But but it's more than just going to to the church and getting your ticket punched. It's more than just words, but it's actually following him in our daily lives. The Jews and the Pharisees that Jesus was preaching to and giving these parables to, these men of ministry, if you will, the men, if anybody in the building should have known who Jesus was, it should have been the scribes and the Pharisees. But see, they believed that they could put on that outer garment. They believed they could put on their church clothes and then they could go behind the scenes and they could live any which way that they wanted to. They actually thought that they were born saved. They didn't have the understanding that just they weren't born saved. That They, they didn't even understand that they, in reality they still needed Jesus. They thought they could do whatever they wanted to do and make it to heaven. Pharisees taught and they believed that for every two men that would one day be found in heaven, surely one would be a Pharisee. They knew the word, many of them, the scribes, they spent their lives memorizing Scripture. I imagine they could quote more Scripture. I'm certain they could quote more Scripture than anybody in this building. They spent their lives studying the Word of God, not to, not to know God, but to appear righteous to those that were around Him. 
around them. In other words, these Pharisees, these religious men, they fasted, they prayed. Sometimes they would pray prayers that were up to three hours long. They would stand in front of the people and they would pray these powerful and lofty looking prayers, but it had nothing. They weren't even talking to God. It was vain repetition. It had nothing to do with knowing God, but it was all about the appearance of those around them. You see, they loved to appear spiritual. But it had nothing to do with being spiritual for God, but it was all about being spiritual for self. Because anywhere you find religion, you will always find a spirit of pride. If you don't believe me, just go to church just a little while. Come on, somebody. You ever been to that church that, in, and, I, and I'll just use my own self because I'm an evangelist, but have you ever been in that service somewhere and maybe there's this great meeting and they have an evangelist come in and we're just shouting, we're excited for God and, and we're having revival and we get down to the altar service and the evangelist or the pastor or somebody of some other church comes up to you and they lay their hands on you and they try to push you down? Anybody ever been to that church? I don't know about you, but I made up my mind a long time ago. God don't need your help. Anybody comes and tries to push on me, I'm putting my kickstand out. You're not pushing me down, buddy. Come on, y'all. But we've seen it. And, and, and I've thought about this over and over. Even when I see it, I think, why do men and even women, why do they do this in the prayer line? And I've come to the conclusion, now I listen, I'm not talking about when somebody prays and they get a little bit excited, and, and I, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about when they're trying to push you down so it looks like the power of God has fallen. And I thought, Lord, why in the world do people do that? Why does a minister of, of all people do something so stupid? And, I, and I've realized it's true. Listen, listen I, I'm, not, I'm not telling you that God don't move like that. I promise you God moves like that. Scripture says he'll lay you out like the slain of a battlefield. I've been in services where the power of God fell, but I also know that any time that the power of God moves and we experience the real thing, it is always counterfeited by the enemy. Anytime the right hand of God moves, the left hand of the enemy moves. Anytime the sowing of the good seed begins to be sown, it's always followed by the sowing of the tear. And sometimes the preacher will try to push people down. I said, Lord, why in the world would somebody do that? And I've come to the place that it's because when it happens, especially people that are unchurched, they're not familiar with the things of God. And we sit out here and we watch it and we see the man of God and we say, my Lord, look at the power that they have. My Lord, look at, can, can you imagine, look, look what this man can do because of the power. And we begin to think about how great that they are. Come on. And now we get on the other side of that, and I, I, I tell people, I, I, call them, I call them pushers, and I call them floppers because we got them on both sides. I got to be careful. I'm not trying to, I'm just, y'all, come on, y'all know what I'm talking about. Oh, you may not say it in here, but you've had a conversation on the way home. Come on. Did you see so-and-so? You know that wasn't God. Come on. Come on, somebody. I'll never forget. I, got, I was praying for a lady in a service one time. Great meeting. God was there. He was moving, and I was praying for this lady. And she come up. Now, I know that God moves like this. Don't, don't dis Listen, don't, don't discount what I'm saying. There are times when God will lay you out. 
But this time, we were getting a little bit of church stuff going, a little pride stuff going, and I was praying for different ones, and God was moving on different ones, and I laid my hand on her, and she went down, and I got about about four more people. She was back in line, and I prayed, touched her, and she went down again, and I, kept, I finally, I just started skipping her. Why? Because I knew that it wasn't of God. It was a game, and the reason that people sometimes will imitate what God is doing because they may have a situation, or maybe even you out here, and they, they get knocked down by the power of God, and if it's real, we understand there's a change that happens. And sometimes people are in places, and, and, and it's pride. They want to be laid out, and that way we're all sitting out here thinking, my Lord, look what the power of God is doing in her life. Look at how God is touching her. Look how God is touching him. I wish God would do that in my life, and, and, and I've come to the place that I don't care how many times you get knocked down? I don't care if you roll up and down the aisle. I don't care if you lay under a towel for an hour. I just happen to know if the power of God has truly touched you. When you, If you want to see if it's real or not, you watch and see what happens when they get up off the floor and they walk out of the building they begin to live their life because when the power of God hits you, he will never leave you like he found you. Pharisees weren't real. They were hypocrites. They were actors. They cared more about who the people thought that they were than who God knew that they were. That's why they hated Jesus. Because Jesus lived it. Jesus, they'd never seen anybody live as perfect and as godly, as righteous as Jesus lived. They, they, they searched everybody and they tried to find something that they can condemn him on. Jesus stood before even his own enemies. And Jesus himself, has anybody in this building ever seen me commit one sin? And the Bible says that they were speechless. Jesus said things that nobody had ever said before. Jesus said things like, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And because of the words that Jesus spoke, they hated him. Jesus spun around in one moment and he told the, the, Pharaoh, the, the prostitutes and the tax collectors, he looked at them and, he, and he, looked at, he pointed to them and he looked at the religious rulers and he said, the tax collectors and the, and the prostitutes will be found in heaven before you. Jesus called them fools. And blind guides. But see, they weren't blind because they couldn't see the truth. They saw Jesus. They had the scripture. They seen the miracles, but they chose to shut their eyes to the truth because his message did not line up with their lifestyle. Can I tell somebody this morning, God never intended for his word to fit your lifestyle, but his intentions have always been for our lifestyles to begin to adhere to his word. And Jesus being a master storyteller and Jesus wanting to express biblical truth, not only to the Pharisees and to the disciples, but also the great crowds of people that had gathered around him. He begins to craft this story of what the real kingdom of heaven would be like. And the dangers of rejecting him. I love to watch and listen to Jesus teach because oftentimes he taught with a two-edged sword. Jesus had a way of, of saying to a crowd of people and he's speaking one message to somebody on this side of the room. But through the very same parable, he's speaking an entirely different message to someone on the other side. And Jesus says, this is what the kingdom of heaven is really like. 
And he begins to bring up the story of a king who arranged a marriage. Now, you have to understand that in that culture, in those days, a marriage is one of the most significant events of your life. Much like today, a marriage is still one of the most significant and one of the most expensive events of your lives. And for someone in that day to have, for a common person to have received an invitation to a royal wedding, to receive the invitation to a wedding of a prince, this would have been something of great significance. This invitation would have been something that would have been a great, great honor. So the king arranges the marriage and he sends out the invitations, but then something strange happens. All of those that were invited, the Bible says, Jesus said that they refused to come. Now, if you get a, if you get a wedding invitation today... It'll say something, it'll show up in your mailbox, and it'll, it'll say something to the effect of the father of the bride requests your presence on such and such a day where this bride and this groom will be gathered together, and they have all, all the information on there. They have the date. They have the time stamp. They, they even make sure they put a return address. That way, if you don't show up, you can know where to send your check to. They, get, they put all the information on that wedding invitation, but, the, but, the, but that was, that's in today's culture. You See, in that day, they had no mail carrier. They had messengers that would come running. They, in that day, when, when, when a wedding was being prepared, there was no date or no time that was stamped up on it. Now, you would know the time. You would know around the season, but there was no exact date. Why? Because in that day, the king is not going to get married until everything is just right. He's not going to have that, that, that his baby isn't going to get married when the rain's falling down because it's got, it's got to be a wedding that is fit for the king. So the table's got to be set to perfection. The fatted calf has got to be just fat, fat enough. The weather's got to be perfect. Everything's got to be picture perfect set for the wedding of a king. And it was in that moment, now you would know the season, but you would not know the exact day. And when the day finally would come, the king would send out messengers. And they would come running to your house, and you've been waiting, wondering when the day would be. And the messenger comes running in, and he says, today is the day of the wedding. And the people would come from all over. They would walk and journey for miles around. But when this king sent out his messengers... Everybody in earshot, they knew how it worked, but it's strange because when this king sent out his message, the people refused to come. One said, well, Lord, you know, we, I, I would come, but I just bought a field. Another said, well, I, I would come, but I just, I just bought an oxen. I would come, but I, I, I've just got married. And they began to lay out excuse after excuse after excuse of why they could not come to the wedding. You don't have to look very far today to see that people are still laying out excuse after excuse. Well, Lord, I, you know, I, I would come, but, you know, there's too many hypocrites at that church. I would go to church, but I know sister such and such that goes over there, and I know the stuff that she did last Last week, I know that she's a hypocrite, and then we begin to lay out excuse after excuse after excuse of why we cannot come. So the servants go back to the king, and they begin to tell the king everything that has happened. And we know that the king really wants them there because he sends the servants back a second time. 
In this passage, Jesus, the, the, the messenger, if you will, he is making, the, the king is making uh, his, his, his greeting, his, his offering. He's being as persistent as he can. He's making this celebration as attractive as he can. And he tells him, tell all those that are invited, he said, tell them that I've, I've prepared my dinner, my, my oxen and my fatted cattle are killed. All things are ready. Come to the wedding. I've got everything picture perfect. I've got everything set up. You don't have to cook anything. You don't have to bring a pot roast. You don't have to do nothing. You don't have to prepare nothing. All you've got to do is respond to the invitation that I'm giving you and accept the gift that I've laid out in front of you. I thank God today that I don't have to earn my way into heaven. I thank God today that I won't stand before God because of my own righteousness. I thank God that it's nothing but the blood of Jesus that will stand and purify me and make me holy. And God today he is still sending out the invitation to whosoever will that will respond to that invitation. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave. We don't have to earn it. We don't have to do it. It is a free gift. And all we've got to do is receive the invitation. It's the greatest invitation that God could give every person in this building. Because I happen to know that every person in this building has failed God. Every person in this building, the Bible says, for we all fall short of the glory of God and the wages of, of sin is death, but praise God, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Friend, I, I, I come to tell somebody, we're not working our way to salvation. We are working our way from salvation. The debt has already been paid. We couldn't do it. All we've got to do is receive the free gift, the invitation that God is sending his people. Well, preacher, how do we know that we know that we know that we're saved? How do we know that we know that we know that we've received this, that we're not missing this? Jesus said... This is what the kingdom of heaven is like. You see, friend, everyone who entered into the king's banquet responded to the invitation. There must be a response in your life. You begin to watch when Jesus went out and he began to, to invite people to follow him. You'll remember that Jesus went up to Peter and Andrew and he said, follow me. And they cast aside their boats, they cast aside their nets, and they began a new life. And following him, Jesus went up to the tax collector and he said, follow me, a man that was unworthy, a man that was bad by, by the standard of the culture. But Jesus looked at him in his mess and he said, follow me. And Matthew, the tax collector, got up and began to follow Jesus. Jesus went to the rich young ruler and he said the same words to the rich young ruler. He said, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. In this moment, this was a call to discipleship, to follow after Jesus, to be one of the 12 that walked with Jesus, but he had something in his heart, this heart of heart agreed, if you will, that he was unwilling to let go of, and then therefore he was unwilling to sell out and follow Jesus with everything that he had. And the Bible says that the rich young ruler went away sorrowful. 
You see, friend, it's either by our, it's by our response that we either receive him or we reject him. Many are called, but few are chosen. And for those that had the privilege of being invited to this banquet, this should have been one of the most incredible moments, incredible opportunities of their life. This was the invitation of a lifetime. But they threw the invitation away. And in their rebellion, they even went on as so far to kill the servants that brought the wedding invitation. And in this moment, when it happens, the king was furious. Now imagine Jesus is telling this story. They kill the messenger. The king is upset. And verse 7 says that he sent out, uh, forgive me, verse 7 says uh, that he sent out armies to destroy them. Now the world says... That if the God that we talk about, if the God that we serve, if, he is a, uh, if he's a God of mercy and grace and a God of love, and I thank, I thank him for the love that he has, but sometimes we forget that the God that we serve, he's both equally balanced, not just in grace and love and mercy, but also in his wrath and in his judgment. Make no mistake, friend, if it was your family member, if it was your messenger, it was your son, your daughter that brought the message, we would want justice. And we know that our God is a God that is just. He's a just God. Now, I want you just to imagine it for me, if you will. Let's say, God forbid that this was to happen, but let's say some vile crime was committed against you or maybe one of your family members. Some evil act, and, and finally the, the moment comes and the, and the police get a hold of them before you can get a hold of them. Come on, somebody. You've been broken. You've suffered a great tragedy, a great loss. This, this man has done a great unspeakable act, an unspeakable harm against your family. And you go to the courtroom and you want justice. And you show up and they bring out the convict and the, the judge is up at the platform and he looks down at the convict. How do you plead? And the convict says, well, judge, I'm guilty. I, I committed the horrible act. I'm guilty. I did it. And what if the judge said... As bad as it is, you know, I'm just going to I'm just going to go ahead and let you go. Today's your lucky day. Come on, y'all. What would you do? You'd come unglued in that courtroom. Why? Because it's not right. It's not just. Every person in this building, we understand that when a crime is committed, a penalty must be paid. There must be a price paid for the sin that has been committed. And can I tell somebody, if you don't already have a hold of this, that is exactly why Jesus came to die. One of these days, it's going to be you and I that are standing before the eternal judge. It's going to be you and I that are standing in the presence of God, and we're not going to be able to make it on good merit or, or going to church on Sunday. When we stand before God, every person in this building will say, God, I'm guilty. God, I did this. All of those weights, all of those things, but all of a sudden, Jesus Jesus will come up and say, Father, he's one of mine. Why, why, why is he saying that? Jesus, that's why Jesus came from heaven to earth and he came down and he put on the flesh of man and he took my place and he took your place. Why? Because, because he understands that when the wrath of God is against us, that, that, that when a crime is committed, a penalty must be paid. 
And now the law that worked against us, the law that was about to condemn us because Jesus came and took our place. So many times people say, well, preacher, why can't God just forgive us? Why did he have to do what he did? Because God is just. And if God was not just, if Jesus did not take our place, then the wrath of God would be upon us. And now the wrath and the blood, the, the law of God that was against us, now it works for us. Because no just judge is going to cause you to pay for the penalty two times over. If you, get the, if you get the speeding ticket and somebody shows up and pays the bill, you don't have to pay the bill twice. I thank God that the law that was against me now, because of what Jesus did, it is working for me. See, for every person that was within earshot, for every person that Jesus was speaking to, every hearer, this should have been the invitation of a lifetime. But not only did the people reject the invitation, but they murdered the messengers. Don't miss this. Jesus is speaking prophetically of what is about to happen in Jerusalem whose religious leaders were rejecting him over and over and over again. They're rejecting Jesus. They're rejecting the truth of the gospel message of, the, of what, why he came to die. Think about it. John the Baptist, who's, who, who quoted, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. John the Baptist, the bulldozer for Jesus, he would soon be murdered. Even all of the disciples that preached the same glorious gospel. Jesus is the way. Jesus died. He rose. And the right, or we can't make it on our own righteousness, but because of what we did, we put our faith in the work of the cross. And all of the disciples, except for John, and they tried to kill him and exile him to Patmos, but every disciple except for him, they also would soon be murdered. Jesus himself who gave out the invitation over and over and over. Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. Follow me. Follow me. Jesus too would soon be murdered. And because of the rejection of the truth, judgment was coming. Because any time a crime, any time a sin is committed, the penalty must be paid. Jesus said that the messengers, that, that the, king was, uh, the king was furious and he sent out these armies to come out and, and destroy and burn up their city. This is a graphic description of what was about to happen, what was about to take place in Jerusalem. In the soon coming years of, uh, of 70 AD, G Jerusalem was going to fall. The pride of the temple, the pride of the Jewish nation was about to be burned to the ground. That's why in one moment Jesus took the disciples aside and they're just marveling over the beauty of the temple and Jesus said, don't marvel. He said, because, because not one stone is going to be left on top of the other. This was prophecy of things to come. Destruction is coming to all those who reject the invitation. Destruction is coming to all those that reject Jesus. And as the people rejected the invitation over and over and over again, the king in his mercy and in his grace, he said, I want you to go out into the highways and the byways. 
I want you to go out and I want you to invite every person that you can find. He says in his word, he said, I want you to bring in both the bad and the good. He said, I want you to bring in the rich man and the poor man, the Jew and the Gentile, the clean and the dirty, the tax collector, the thief, the prostitute, the town murderer. Everyone is invited. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. Picture it with me if you can. The building is full. You've got people of every tongue, every, every different background, every different type of sin. Every, the building is full. They've all responded to the invitation. But the Bible says when the king comes walking through the building, that he looks around at the people and he sees someone that does not have on the wedding garment, does not have on the wedding apparel. And immediately the king goes over to this person that doesn't look right, standing out like a sore thumb, and the king goes over to this person with the wrong garment on. And he said, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And the Bible says that he took, he called for the servants, and he took this man and he said, bind him hand and foot, and he cast him into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing our teeth. And Jesus said, for many are called, but few are chosen. Now, all of those that were pushed in listening to Jesus teach and talk about this story, every person that was there in that culture, they would have understood about the guest chamber. In that culture, in that day, when uh, the poor man did not have this, but any man of wealth, and especially it would be understand that in a king's house, there, was what, there is what we call a guest chamber. And what it is, really, it's a little side room. When you first into, come into a, a person's house, it's a little side room, and they've got, they've got all of these clothes, and they've got water. See, they got everything into this, this side room where you could go in and get cleaned up. And the reason was because in that day when you would travel, you didn't just hop in the car and run to wherever you're running to. Most of the people in that day, they would have to walk every place that they went. Some of them, they would walk for miles and miles out in the desert heat. And we understand as you're walking through the desert and it's hot and you're sweating, your, your clothes are sweaty, you, there's dust sticking to your feet, you would get filthy as you would travel along the dirty roads in that day. So they had this guest chamber, especially in a house of a king, before you would present yourself. They had this little side room that you could go in and you could walk in with all your filth and all your grime and all your mess. And maybe they had a, maybe they had a towel to, wash, to, to wipe up with. Maybe they had a pitcher of water where you could wash all the dust and all the filth off of your body. But it would have been especially understood about the change of the garment. You see, in that day when a king would have a royal wedding, they didn't just have certain clothes that you could refresh yourself or a robe that you could wrap yourself and get ready and go present yourself. But in a royal wedding, they would often have these fine linens and festive, festive colors that you could come in and you could wash yourself and you could put on these fine colors, these fine clothes that the king had laid out. You see, the invitation was provided for free. 
The feast was provided for free. The royal garments, the royal robes, though it came as a great cost to the king, they were provided for free. Everything that everything that they needed was provided, and it was there. And for every person, they would understand that this was the invitation of a lifetime. All he had to do was stop off and put on what God had provided. All he had to do, listen, can I tell somebody this? morning. Listen, that there is still an old-fashioned altar. Every person is welcome into the house of God, the good and the bad. The thief is welcome. The liar is welcome. The town gossip is welcome. The murderer is welcome. The adulterer is welcome. The homosexual is welcome. The fornicator is welcome. But when you come into the house of God, there's still an old-fashioned altar. There's still an old-fashioned guest chamber where you can go in and let the blood of Jesus wash across your life and can I tell somebody when God washes you he never leaves you like he found you there's a new garment there's a new way that we walk there's a new way that we talk the blessed of Jesus that washes us will make us white as snow and something happens we don't look like we used to that's why 2 Corinthians says therefore if anyone is in Christ he's a new creation old things have passed away behold all things have become new every person is invited to the house of God but when we rightly put our faith in him there's a change that happens the washing is always followed by a sanctifying friend don't be deceived by everybody that's walking around in the church because everybody that's in the church, I'm not talking about here in particular, but I can tell you as a whole, everybody that's walking in the church is not a part of God's church, come on somebody and they are easily identified by the garment that they wear. When God washes you, he will not leave you like he found you. You may struggle, you may have some faults, you may have some failures, but I can tell you when, when we become a child of God, we are ashamed of our sin, we hate sin, and I'll go a step further and tell you that Christians, I don't care how far away, I don't care what the culture is, Christians do not celebrate sin. Christians, every Christian is ashamed of their sin, therefore they will never celebrate any type of Sin, come on, y'all. Paul said, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You can come into the house of God without a change. But when God's got a hold of you, when God has really touched you, and it's not some prideful make-believe something, but when you, God has reached in from heaven and touched your heart by the power of the Holy Spirit, you can't leave the altar without a change in your life. Don't take the invitation of Christ lightly. I don't care what you've done. I don't care how you've fallen. All wrongs can be made right. And this is still today the invitation of a lifetime. We must be ready to meet the one that invites us. We must respond to the invitation. And when we have rightly responded, we will never look the same. Now, that was the story but can I tell somebody this morning, there's also an underlying message. The story's not over. It's not going to be very long until there is going to be a royal wedding. 
There's going to be angels. The Bible tells me that heaven is undescribable. The, the, the streets of gold and the crystal glass. I cannot even fathom how great that heaven's going to be. We know that we've seen, many of you, you've seen incredible places in this world. Maybe you've seen the, the Great Barrier Reef of Australia. Or maybe you've seen the mountains of Colorado. Maybe you've watched the sunset across the Grand Canyon. Maybe you've stood at the vastness of the ocean and just looked at the beauty. Maybe you've looked through a telescope and you looked into galaxies and you've seen planets of unspeakable size that declare the handiwork of God. But Jesus himself said with all the things that this world has to offer, with all the beauty that this world offers, even anything that we can imagine, Jesus said that eye has not seen, nor ear has heard, nor has even entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for him. Let me tell you something. The things that we are going to experience in heaven are well beyond any sin, any pleasure that this world has to offer, even if there was no hell. And we know that there is a hell, but even if there was no hell and you just got deleted you just got you just got just erased if you will even if hell did not exist heaven would not be worth missing because of some sin some temptation that the enemy lures us with you see friend it's one thing to see a royal wedding on earth but can you imagine a royal wedding in heaven where the bride is going to be united with the groom. What a celebration it's going to be. And you can find your invitation, Jesus said in John 14. He said, in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would not have told you. He said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. You can find your second invitation over in 1 Thessalonians. For the Lord will descend from heaven with the shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God and the dead, and Christ will rise first, you can find your third invitation. Over in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul said, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. There is going to be a royal wedding and I believe that we stand at the cusp of the return of Jesus. There is going to be a royal wedding and we call it the marriage supper of the Lamb and God the Father requests your presence where Jesus, the Son of God is going to marry his bride and I've searched my invitation and I found out that the, there's no date and there's no time stepped on the return but I can tell you the word of God declares we will know the season and the season is now this is the invitation of a lifetime don't miss the wedding don't miss the wedding don't let anything in your life Cause you to be separated from him. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of salvation. It's more than just praying a prayer. It's more than just saying, God, forgive me and filling out the salvation card. But it's a life that begins to follow after Jesus. Everybody's not following Jesus. Everybody that goes to church is not following after Jesus. 
But he keeps on sending the invitation over and over and over again that whosoever will come to him. We're saved by faith, but faith produces works. We're saved. The Word of God declares that we are saved by grace through faith. But friend, faith never stands alone. Faith always stands side by side with the actions of obedience to the Word of God. And this morning as you search your heart, as you analyze your life, If Jesus came back this very day, are you ready? It could be today. Oh, preacher, I've heard that my whole life. I've heard Jesus might come back before the sermon closes. I've heard that Jesus might come back before the morning. I've heard it my whole life, preacher. But did you know that there's going to be many that stand before God? Many will stand before God. And they'll say, God, I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready for you to come back. I wasn't ready to leave this world. And God will say to them, did I not give you enough time? Did I not send enough preachers to warn you that I was coming back? Did you not hear the sermon preached over and over and over again that I was coming back? But you threw the invitation away. The day's coming. And today could be the day. Are you ready? Are you ready? When we take off our mask this morning, have we not only followed after Jesus, but have our lives been altered by Him? See, that's the litmus test. That's how we know. And I listen, I'm not telling you you're going to be perfect, but I am telling you there will be a hatred for sin. And when you fail God, you'll be ashamed. Christians do not live in habitual sin. Not one. If you know somebody that's living in habitual sin of what God's Word declares, they're not right with Him. Christians strive to live up to the standard that God's Word has laid out for every person. Thank you for listening to today's message. We pray that it challenges you to dig deeper into the Word of God and grows your faith. If you would like to reach out to us, please visit our website at www.mybethel.net. Thank you.